you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 150, Psalm 150, the last psalm in the Psalter, be found on page 668 in your pew Bibles. Though we take a break from Exodus today, it's not really fully a break because it fits in very well to what we've been looking at in Exodus. We've been going through the, the construction of the tabernacle, the house of God. As we've just sung, you saw, you saw in the title, it's Praise God in His Temple. And what we read in this psalm is what the whole purpose of the temple and the tabernacle, what our own purpose in life is, and that is to praise the Lord. And so we should see this as not only a reminder for our own instruction to praise God, but also the fulfillment of what we are called to do and what the temple itself was called to do. Before we read, let's ask for God's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we turn to your word and we pray that we would take just this moment to pause, that we would not unduly and rashly jump into your word without understanding that what we have before us is something beyond, something beyond us, something so great in its authority that we are bound to obey every word here written. Something that is so pure that as we read it, we should be reminded of our own sin and thus be purified even by meditating on it and bringing it to you that we would be so pure. As we come to your word, may we be reminded what we come to is nothing less than our very God and Savior. We ask that we would see revealed here your very nature, that we would see revealed in this psalm our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, as all of God's word points to you, our Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be reminded of your great temple that is truly yourself. We praise you for that blessing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This psalm as it presents itself is quite simple on one hand. You can see it in the beginning and the end. What does it begin with? Praise the Lord. We don't have to delve too deep to realize what this psalm is about. The praise of our great God, our Lord, and how we are to come before Him, how we are to worship Him. And that's what we see in this psalm today. It's, it's a search for praise, a search for praise from God's people. You've likely heard the versions of this story before. It's a common story. I'm going to provide my own little twist on it. But the story goes that God sent two angels down to collect all the prayers of the saints. And one angel was to collect the, the prayers of petition, those prayers that were asking God for something, making requests of God. And the other angel was sent to, to bring back the prayers, the praises, the thanksgivings. Well, the angel sent for the petitions realized rather quickly that he could not bring all the petitions back on his own and had to enlist a legion of angels to carry back to God all of the prayers and petitions. The angel sent to gather the praises had to search long and hard to find a mere handful to bring to the Lord. Now, obviously, this is a, this is a fictitious story, and it's not incredibly accurate. 
It paints God's church in a rather bleak light, one which I don't want to, to, to further, as if, yeah, the church is just really bad at praising God. I don't want to go that far on the one hand, but that story, that illustration does get at a certain point. We are too prone to petition the Lord, and we are more, we're more quickly prone to petition the Lord than we are to praise and thank Him. If we were to do this same activity, to, to weigh our own prayers, how much time do we spend asking God for something? How much time do we spend thanking and praising His name? And the story shows us that. It shows us we need to be reminded to praise the Lord. And that's what the psalm is doing. Praise is something we have in our back pockets that is underutilized. Praise is amazingly versatile. What do I mean? I mean... We can praise God in any and every situation. In fact, we are called to. That's how versatile it is. Every situation we can bring God praise. It doesn't matter what you're going through. We can always praise the Lord. We can always thank Him. It's underutilized. And it's, it's the very thing that accomplishes the purpose for which we were created. To glorify our God. To glorify Him through praising His name. Praise is something that will transform your life. Praise is something that changes our very mindset. It helps us live a healthy life as we live and direct it in all its respects toward God himself. And we were created to do this. The world itself seeks to fill that vacuum of praise. We were created to praise. And so what does the world tend to do? We tend to set up other things that we would praise. I think sports is probably a great example of this in our culture we are geared towards praise, and so we praise the athletes, and we praise them for their, their acts of athleticism and their, their abilities to do things that not all can do. And we heap upon praise on praise on these, these men. And, and why is that? Because we were created to do that. We were created to praise. We direct that towards others. We seek it ourselves. We are desiring praise. And so we've corrupted praise, yet we see how that's why we were created. But the gospel sets it to right that we see we are not to praise ourselves, nor are we to set undue praise on men. We are to praise our Lord. And that's what we see in our psalm today. We're going to look at our psalm in four points. The first being, where should God be praised? As we see that in our psalm. The second, why should God be praised? The third, how should God be praised? And fourth, who should be praised? First, where should God be praised? The short answer is everywhere. We can make it rather simple. The short answer is everywhere. This psalm erupts in every verse with praise. You can see that. Verse 1 begins with praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, that's the word hallelujah. This is the hallelujah chorus at the end of the Psalter. It ends with hallelujah, and then every line and begins with hallelujah, which is the Hebrew praise. And they're saying praise the Lord through blank. Praise the Lord here. Praise the Lord with this. Every line begins with praise. And ends with praise the Lord. It's this eruption of praise that's a fitting conclusion to the Psalter itself. The songs of the Psalter, and they were songs, were the praise book of God's people. This is how they praise the Lord, and so this psalm ends it. And we can see as, as it begins, it says to praise the Lord and tells them where to do it. It says praise God in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. This psalm is a call for people to praise God, and yes, everywhere. But notice, it says, in his sanctuary and in the mighty heavens, that likely encompasses all the world, and yet it, it uses the term sanctuary. 
We saw the title of the song that we sang, Praise God in His Temple. There's a specific reference to this corporate place of worship, the temple itself. This is where come and praise the Lord. There is a specific place that is, that's pointed out. It's the sanctuary. That's not to the exclusion of walking in praise of God everywhere. Certainly the psalm is saying that. But especially where, but in his sanctuary, the tabernacle, the temple, praise God there. Often God's word paints this place of corporate worship as the epitome of worship. God paints the gathering of his saints, or in the Old Testament, his house, that temple and tabernacle, as the epitome. This is where you come to offer that praise and worship. Why is that? Well, it's a gathering of our fellow believers. We see that more in the way we offer worship than necessarily they did, but that was the place all the Israelites came, and so it was still that corporateness. That's where the, the believers gathered to, to offer their worship under the, 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 the tutelage, under the oversight of their priests who were ordained for the task. And so that gave it that special characteristic. They were coming to their very mediators to offer worship. Today we come to encounter the means of grace, the specific means that God has ordained to bring to his people grace in strengthening to their faith. The preaching of God's word by one ordained to that task. To receive the sacraments by those authorized to give them. To strengthen faith. Why am I hammering this? Well, because it's not uncommon today to hear such things as, well, why go to worship? I, I like to spend my particular time on a, on a walk in nature. And I praise God that way. And I, I just really value that time with God. I, I've heard people say that. And that, that's not wrong. That's, that's great. And yet, should that be to the exclusion of the, the worship that comes from gathering together with the saints? It shouldn't. You see, we have all our time to worship God in every way, in every situation, and we should. And yet, you see, God's word, and even the Psalter itself, even prioritizes in this way the sanctuary of God. And as we apply it to our lives today, we should prioritize the corporate gathering of the saints for worship. It is that epitome of worship. And why is that? Why is taking a walk and praising God not, not on that same level? They're both praise, and they are. Well, here is specifically God's ordained call. This is what I want you to do to worship me. And it's also a foretaste of the heavenly worship service. It's the gathering of God's people. And so it is something that is, isn't supposed to be done even in a vacuum. It's not something that's supposed to be just be done personally by ourselves. We do it together, not only united with each other here, but God's Word talks about how we are spiritually united through Christ to all saints to worship Him. So we gather in His temple, we gather in the sanctuary to worship God, and this is that epitome of worship. So, in answer to where do we worship God, well, yes, of course, everywhere, but pay specific attention to the gathering in the sanctuary, God's house, where he's called us to worship him. Second, second point, why should God be praised? If we're going to praise this being, why should he? Again, the short answer would be for his being, for his being and attributes and for what he's done. Who he is. This is why we praise him. At times we can find it difficult to praise God. And I know we've all experienced this. We've all experienced I should pray. And you sit down and you seek to praise the Lord. And it's just you're stuck. You don't know what to say. 
And you want to, your heart's desire is to praise the Lord, but, but what do you do? How, how do you arrive there? And the psalm gives us good direction for what we are to do. We are to look at his acts of power, his mighty acts of power is what the verse says. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Do you sit and have a time to sit and contemplate the mighty acts of God? The greatness of God? Here we have that time, we're doing it right now. To sit, to pause, and to contemplate what God has done. And how can we do this? How can we elicit this praise? Well, we contemplate on those mighty acts. What, what are such acts? You can think of the act of creation itself. You can think of the fact that God created the world how many thousand years ago, and, and we are still trying to figure it all out. We are still trying to understand what he has done. And, and we think we get it, yet the more we can see, the more we realize we don't have it all figured out. With the greater magnification of a microscope comes more detail. We thought there would be less. We thought it would be simplified the more you could see. Yet the more you could see, the greater magnification comes more to praise and honor the Lord and his intricacies and greatness. With the telescopes, the further we can see, we can look out so much farther than they ever were able to see. And what do we see? But more and more, more galaxies, more stars, more to praise the Lord. Whenever we look at anything he has done, the more you focus on it, the more you find that's praiseworthy. We see that in creation itself. We see that in what he's done. God upholds all things. We see that in the power of his providence, that almighty and ever-present power of God, as he upholds all things and rules them, so that they all function according to his will and for the good of his people. That's astonishing as you can just think of that and apply it to your own life. That means everything that's happening... Everything that's happening to me is under God's control. It's for His glory. I can praise Him for it. It's for my good. Praise Him for what He's done. We recall this. I'll use sports again as an illustration. People are so quick. Oh, did you, did you see that? Or do you remember that game when Michael dropped 63 versus whoever? Do you remember that game when, when Walter Payton did whatever? And, and we praise the, the athletes, we praise them for their acts. Well, we are called to do that rightly with God. And so taking that as an analogy, as we're apt to do with our hobbies and the things we like, we should do that with the one who we love more than anyone else. Say such things. You remember when God covered the world in blood? You remember when he spoke the world into existence? In the beginning, he created all things you remember when he answered Joshua's prayer and stopped the sun in the sky so that his people could win the victory? Do you remember when he rained down plagues on Egypt to save his people? Do you remember when he just brought Elijah up and spared him from death, just took him to himself and his great power? Do you remember those he's raised from the dead through his prophets and his son? All of these are so far beyond us. You remember when he, the Lord, the Eternal One, came down and took on our, our natures and became man and is man still? There's so much to praise the Lord for, and we recall this. His mighty deeds, as the psalm says, and particularly his mighty deeds in redemption. God's acts of redemption are so clearly shown. And those are his greatest acts. 
His greatest acts are not actually creation itself. His greatest acts and the one he desires to be praised through, yes, in addition to what he does in nature, is how he saved us, which took so much more than speaking it. Christ is is that epitome of worship. How are we to worship God? Well, we're to worship him through his Son. In fact, if we're to offer praise to God, you can't do that with offering it through his Son. If you're offering praise that's, that's not coming through Christ and for the glory of His name, this is not the praise the Father wants. Because as we've seen as we've gone through Exodus, can you worship God apart from His Son? All the ceremonies and all the symbols, the temple itself, the sanctuary that the psalmist is talking about, the songs that are being sung, all of them come through Christ. All the ceremonies pointed to Christ. The entire worship structure of Israel, our entire worship worship structure today, points to Christ. And we worship God the Father through Him. So we praise Him for His mighty acts, but especially praise Him for His mighty acts and deeds of redemption, of the work of, of Exodus, Exodus being brought out and taken from slavery. This is what we praise God for, what He has done. Fundamentally, we praise Him because He deserves it. There's no other being that does. He is the only being who truly and fully deserves praise. So that is what we offer. Now we can struggle in other ways. What if you think you're not really in a position to offer praise? You're burdened and sad because of trials and your heart doesn't feel in in any way a thankful, praising heart. Perhaps you don't think you're good enough to offer praise. You're too sinful. You're too whatever. You are the only one who will ever exist to praise God through your unique situation. No one else is positioned to praise God in the same way you are. No one else bears your design and your circumstances. There has never been and nor and will never be one who's going through what you are, which makes you able to offer praise in a specific situation that no one else can. And that's why God has done what he's done. He's done it to receive a whole multitude of praise in every different shade and color and way, and that's us, as we can praise God with what he has specifically called us to do. So praise God from your position, because only you can. And that encourages me, that gives me, that just makes me happy to think that I can praise God in this way that no one else can, and that's why I was created, that's why I was formed this way, that's why God calls me to go through these circumstances, and it's true for all of us. We go through this uniquely, to praise God uniquely, in that proper and precious way, and so we praise Him Third, how should God be praised? How do we praise God? And again, the short answer here is heartfelt joy. How should we praise God? Heartfelt joy. We see this in verses 3 to 5 in this myriad of instruments. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Why all this mention of these instruments? Well, this is song. This is praise. This is worship. We worship God through our praise songs. How we sing to him. What we offer to him. 
And the myriad of them shows the festivity of it. We worship God in joy. That's what's coming through this, this portion. Praise the Lord, but don't do it in, in mourning. Don't do it in quietness. Praise Him with the trumpet. That's a loud instrument. That's not silent. Praise Him with cymbals. Those are loud. They cling. Praise Him with all these beautiful things. Praise Him loudly and joyously. Worship is festive. We worship God in joy and praise Him. We don't come as if it's a funeral service to God's church. It isn't. What we are praising is the one who has risen from the dead. You, don't, you wouldn't come to a place where the, the one who was in the coffin and is now seated on it and raised, you don't come there somber and mourning. You come with praise. To the trumpet, cymbals, to the lute, to the lyre. We offer joy. That's what we offer. God is to be worshipped in joy, not mourning. And that, of course, does not mean we don't go through mourning. But it's describing what that proper element of sanctuary worship to the Lord is. Joyous. But these verses also express something else, and something that might be hidden because it doesn't explicitly say it. Heartfelt worship. Now how am I getting that? How would I get sincere worship from just a list of instruments? Well, you can't offer festive, joyful worship that isn't coming from your heart. That isn't sincerely offered. You can't rejoice in the Lord when your heart's not there. So it must be sincere, heartfelt worship. This is how we praise God. Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verses 10 and following, describes what heartless worship is. The multitude of your sacrifices, this is God talking to his people. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? So stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Why in this psalm of praise do I read a portion of Scripture so poignant in its critique of false worship? Well, what is being critiqued there is that worship that's being offered from those who show themselves to be hypocrites. Those who want to bring offerings to God's court and yet they're, they're, they're using everyone else around them. They're not supporting the poor. They're not protecting the orphan. They're not defending the oppressed. They're not doing justice or doing what is right. So they're living in a sinful way, and God says, I don't want that worship from you, hypocrite. What that gets at is our heart. See, out of a true heart flows works, deeds, and fruit. As we seek to obey God in our living when we come to a sanctuary, not because we're worthy, but because of our faith, as that shows a true faith and a love for him, we offer sincere worship. And unlike what I just read, that the Lord, and, and pardon the way say, saying this, I'm not trying to be irreverent, that the Lord gobbles up. That praise. 
The praise that comes to him sincerely and with all this joy and festivity, that is what Psalm 150 is saying to offer. We do nothing in worship if we aren't working at it. If we're not working at worship, we're not worshiping. Heartless worship is not pleasing to God. And boys and girls, this takes work. You have to work on it right now as we're all, oh, let's get done with this. As we're seated here, it, 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 we have to, it, it takes work to, to sing songs and not have the words merely pass through our minds and through our mouths without even thinking about them. It takes work to sit and to hear God's word preached and apply it to your life and sincerely worship him and to pray and direct it to God. That takes work. It takes work to listen to prayers and to pray with each other and with the pastor as he's praying. It's hard. It takes concentration. We work at it. This is for all of us here. We aren't supposed to just come and plop ourselves down in the pew and sit there and think that by osmosis or something, by, by hopefully some way it's just going to get in there. No, it's supposed to be an offering to the Lord that's sincere and through the heart. That's pleasing to Him and that takes work, but it's joyous work. It's a work that brings such reward, and immediately so. You know, you never uh, regret opening God's Word. I've never regretted going to a worship service. And sometimes I've regretted before. You think, I just, I just not feeling it. I'm tired. I don't want to go. We have those thoughts, and yet when you go it, go to it and worship, you don't come back saying, "I wish I wouldn't have done that." That's the reward of going to God and worshiping Him in the sincere heart. And when we have those thoughts that say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to worship, I don't want to focus, it's easier just to zone out. When we do this, we, we praise the Lord by, by seeking Him. He is honored by our continual turning of our attention. No, i got to turn back because this is God's Word. I've got to concentrate on these songs and the words that I'm saying because I want to praise Him. That pleases our God. One Puritan author has a couple quotes I want to read that really gets at what I'm trying to say. This author says, As God whom we draw nigh to is great, so the duties of God's worship are great duties. They are the greatest things that concern us in this world, and it is a sign of a very carnal heart to slight the duties of God's worship, to account them as little matters. That's a sign of a carnal heart, but they're great duties to come to worship God and praise Him. He continues, There is a behavior of the soul in worship. We are called to sanctify God's name, meaning honor it, treat it weighty, set apart and holy. When we come to worship God, if we would sanctify God's name, we must have high thoughts of God. We must look upon God as He is upon His throne in majesty and glory. We should at all times have high thoughts of God. Take heed of having low thoughts and apprehensions of the infinite majesty of God at any time, but especially when you are to worship the great God. I love that language, have high thoughts of God. What does that mean, though? How do you have high thoughts of God? Well, it's exactly what we've been talking about already. It's, it's thinking of what he's done, and it's thinking of his attributes and who he is. These are the high thoughts of God. And you know what you're supposed to do, then? Use all the skill you possess in your mind and thought to form the greatest prayers that you can. 
the highest language, the most praiseworthy words that you can to reflect them to God. It's an exercise that just gives him glory as you think of a truth and think, how can I say this in the highest language possible? That's what the Psalter does. That's what God's word does. It takes the human language and it tries to push it to its ends to praise God and use this high thoughts of God. Never lowly. God is never below us. God is never lowly to be thought of but high and exalted. How do we do this? Thanking Him is part of it. Why is Thanksgiving so part and parcel to praise? Because Thanksgiving is a very acknowledgement that God is the one responsible. That God is powerful. God is able to do these things. And He does it. And in your response to Thanksgiving, it's automatically praising to Him and high thoughts of Him because He's the giver. He's the blessed one. Trusting God is part of it as well. That's that sincerity of our heart. You can't have high thoughts of God when you don't trust Him. Trust is is forming those high thoughts of God and honoring Him is the goal. This is how we have high thoughts of God, how we don't demean Him in our worship. We bring Him that praise. And finally, not verse or chapter, point four, who should be praised? Really, this is... A simple question, and it's asking who should do the praising and who should be praised. Who should do the praising is seen pretty easily in verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Beautiful poetic language to describe all people, to describe all living things. All that has breath praise the Lord. This is who is called to praise the Lord. All his creatures are called to do this. Whatever has that breath. But who should be praised? So we see who does the praising. It's all that has breath. All people. Us. But who should should be praised? It's God. Yes. I'm going to pick up on what I said a bit earlier. It's more than just we worship God. That's true. But that's pretty general. We worship our triune God. Let's dig deep into that. We don't just worship this. The letters. The the G-O-D. That's who I'm worshiping. This general God. It's the God we know, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as I said earlier, the only proper way to worship this triune God is to worship through the Son. And that is not to the demeanment or the displeasure of the other members of the Trinity. The Father has called the Son to be the source by which He is approached and worshipped. That's why I said the Father does not desire worship that is not coming through the Son. The Holy Spirit's very desire and goal in His purposes is to unite the people with the Son and to bring them to the Father through what the Son has done. The Trinity is all engaged there, and we worship our triune God. We don't just worship a nameless one or even one who has a name in its general way. We are Trinitarian in our worship. We are blessed in the triune name. We pray to the triune God. We worship the Son. We worship the Father. We worship the Spirit. And so as we direct all our attention, every sermon directs its attention to Christ. And it does that because we're praising the Father in that, and we're using, or that's a poor way of saying it, the Holy Spirit is in our hearts bringing us, the Holy Spirit is operating through that worship, bringing us to the Son, to the Father. And so we worship Him in those ways. This doesn't dishonor the triune God. It honors them with Christ-centered worship. We don't worship only Christ, but we worship through Him. That's the proper biblical way of worshiping our God. And as we conclude, I want to read one final quote from a pastor who's 
who summarized this psalm very well. He said, God made us and the universe around us for the glory of his name, for the praise of who he is, to magnify his majesty. Psalm 150 brings that to a glorious conclusion. The purpose of redemption in Jesus Christ is not simply that we are rescued from the flames of hell. The purpose of Jesus Christ, assuming our human nature, suffering and dying and rising from the dead, was to set in motion this tidal wave, where all things were in rebellion against God, groaning and awaiting redemption, are now working towards the day when every living creature will bow before the Lord and offer the praise of their hearts. This is why you have been placed here and redeemed, to offer this praise. That's why we gathered here this morning, and that's why we will gather again, Lord willing, in the evening, for praise. Isn't that primarily we learn? It isn't primarily that we come here so that we can receive grace and strength and perseverance. Those are, those are applications of worship. They come to us, but that is not our reason for worship. Every time you get in the car to drive to church, tell yourself, why am I getting in this car? It's to praise God. That's why I go. I don't go to be a consumer. This is what we have to tell ourselves. I don't go to worship to consume. I go to offer praise. The nature of our God is one that as we praise him, we, we are blessed. have all the more reason to worship him. Let's bow before our great God and praise his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you, our great Lord, and we praise your name. We praise you as you have shown us in this psalm to praise you with our whole beings, to praise you with all of our breath, to praise you in every circumstance, in every place, but especially to praise you in your sanctuary. And we praise your name with joy and a sincere heart. And yet we come to you fallen. We come to you recognizing that we fail in this so often. We fail in our worship. We come to prayers and zone out. We come to passages and not focus. We sing songs that never enter into our expressions of understanding and joy. And yet we know we don't do this because we don't love you. Rather, we, we, we seek strength. We seek to grow, that our praise would be redeemed, that we praise you evermore, that it would be purified, and that is our prayer as a church and your church abroad. Let us be those who praise the Lord. Amen.